Morning, saints. Morning, sinners. Last week, we took some time to unpack an Old Testament text from Isaiah, Isaiah uh, chapter 62. Um, and, and just to show you how the Old Testament and New Testament do kind of go together, I, I'm, I'm prefacing today's message with the reality that last week does have something to do with this week. And uh, there is a tie between the, the, the Hebrew scriptures and uh, the, the Christian scriptures. Last week, we unpacked this text from Isaiah 62, where, if you remember, the people of Israel were in exile in Babylon. They were in um, Babylon. They were exiled for an entire generation. They lived away from the city of Jerusalem and from Palestine. And the first and second parts of the book of Isaiah, one is written a judgment against the people of Israel. The second part, up to chapter 55 or so, is is dealing with uh, talking to the people, saying, you know, God sees your pain, he's going to bring you back. And the last part of Isaiah, if you remember, talks about the people who have been repatriated back home. And they're back in the promised land. They're back home in Jerusalem, the holy city. And we talked about how God, uh, though they got back home, everything, wow, we're back home, they were a little bit despondent because everything had changed. And God saw their sense of despondency as they returned from exile and said, you know what, I'm going to give you a new name. I'm going to call you, instead of forsaken and desolate, I'm going to call you, um, you are my glory and we are married. And you see, the reason God gives these new names to the people um, is that when you give a new name, the people were given a new identity. And that new identity that God gives is a promise of God's faithfulness. And we looked at how we as a church, we can relate to the whole exile thing in our own personal history of this church. The crazy events of the last dozen years with the turnover of pastoral and lay leadership, um, it's been a little swirly. People who live wandering in the wilderness or who have been in exile of sorts, they learn to rely on a different set of skills than you normally would if you were a settler in a status quo situation where everything is smooth sailing. When you're a wanderer, when you're in the wilderness, when you're in exile, you have to adapt. So those the behaviors are different. And now the people have come back from exile. They had to develop a new skill set. Beloved, you, as I mentioned last week, are a faithful remnant that have stayed focused on the goal and fought the good fight during those wilderness exile years. And I left you to ponder last week the question, what is the new name God would give you, us, as a congregation, as we move forward in ministry in Broward County? What new name would God give us? And I hope you let that rustle around in your, rattle around in your head this week. Well, this morning we're tying... We're tying in a story from Luke's gospel, chapter 4, that ties into this people being in exile, and now we're back. God has restored the relationship. And Luke has Jesus quoting the Isaiah text that we referred to last week, and has Jesus proclaiming a new promise. Um, turn your Bible to Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4. And Luke has done a masterful job of, of setting things up in his gospel. First, he's, Jesus is baptized and the Holy Spirit descends upon him. 
and the Spirit of God speaks to him, and then the Spirit drives him into the wilderness, Jesus into the wilderness, uh, into an exile of sorts, a, a wilderness for 40 days, 40 nights, where his spiritual character is uh, fashioned and formed. And then the Spirit drives Jesus out, back from the wilderness, back into the community where Jesus goes into Galilee. And he begins a ministry of settling down and picking up right where he left off. Well, actually, he doesn't. Jesus doesn't settle down. Jesus has come back from his wilderness and his exile, and he didn't settle back into the comfortable rhythms of small-town Galilee. No, his experience in personal 40-day exile and wilderness instilled in him a spirit-driven life that had a specific passion and purpose. Jesus was no settler. He was a social, political, and spiritual agitator and instigator. He was a catalyst for transformation and change. And with respectful apologies to my California brother, Rick Bourne, Jesus did not live a purpose-driven life. He embodied a spirit-driven life with a purpose and a passion to change and turn over the tables of religious, cultural, and political status quo. He was spirit-driven. So this leads us to our text today. Turn in your Bible to Luke chapter 4, beginning with verse 14, and we'll read through verse 21. Um, The lectionary author ends it at 21. We want to keep reading further, but for whatever reason, the authors of the lectionary decide to end it at verse 21 and kind of leaves us hanging. So read that rest of it later, and you'll see what I'm talking about. Um, Listen to the word of the Lord, Luke chapter 4, verses beginning with verse 14. Now Jesus, then Jesus, filled with the power of the Spirit, he returned to Galilee, and a report about him spread throughout the surrounding country. Jesus began to teach in their synagogues and was praised by everyone. And when he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. And he unrolled the scroll, found the place where it is written in Isaiah, which is in Isaiah 58 and 61. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And Jesus rolled up the scroll. He gave it back to the attendant, and he sat down. The eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And then Jesus began to say to them, teach them, declare to them today this scripture has been filled been fulfilled in your hearing this is the word of the lord amen carol hess from uh, candler school of theology at emory she notes in today's passage quote that jesus or we learn what jesus came to do in his ministry 
Insofar, she says, as we measure our lives against what Jesus says in this text, we are following Jesus' ministry. If we are going to study, interpret, and follow the gospel, she says, we should keep coming back to this text in Luke 4 to measure the success of our work. Close quote. And I suppose the question before you and me is this. Are we? Are we returning to this text as the measure for how well we are doing? The church is to proclaim the good news. The church is to help the blind recover their sight. The church is to set captive peoples free. The church is to declare a jubilee year. But are we? But is the church in America doing that today? What is the good news, my beloved, that the church is proclaiming today? For many, for many, the news that is heard today out of church is not heard as good news. It's heard as bad news. The news people hear is that if you don't act, vote, behave, or do certain things in a certain way, you are not, as we say in the South, bona fide. The good news people are buying in today in our culture is that if you walk the aisle, that is, once Just As I Am is played for the 36th verse, and you finally come down and say, I, I give myself to God, that we get our space reserved on God's glory bus, my friends, that is not necessarily good news. You see, it's all about me. It's all about my salvation. It says nothing about the blind, the poor, the broken. Jesus is challenging us to ask, how is the good news we are proclaiming as a church making a difference for a man living under visqueen plastic this weekend in the rain along the side of the bushes and the scrubs beside Davy Boulevard? Jesus is wanting to know what is the good news the church of Jesus Christ is declaring today for the single mother who is working two jobs, never sees or has quality time with her kids, and neither does she even think about having an experience of an intimate caress across her cheek because she doesn't have the time to vape, to get out and date. Beloved, furthermore, how is our American church doing with letting people who are blind to the truth of the gospel know what the gospel really is? Gospel is good news. But are they hearing it? No. The church in America suffers from a vast form of macular degeneration where we're not able to see peripherally. That's what macular degeneration is. You can only see right in front of you, and if you've got to really squint and pay attention to see that, you lose your ability to see the edges and what's on the side. Friends, how is the church helping people see past that spiritual macular degeneration? 
how is the church today, friends, liberating people who are held by the bond of poverty, the shackle of substance abuse, or human trafficking, which is taking place just a mile and a half away, if not closer, along the I-95 corridor? Did you know that I-95 and I-4 are two of the busiest routes for human trafficking in the entire United States? It's loaded with people being trafficked, men or boys and girls, young women and young men. What are we doing about it? How is the church demonstrating that there is a way to break free from the bonds of prejudice, greed, abusive power, and the accumulation of stuff? Or do we as the church proffer a good news that it's a culturally driven Christianity light, L-I-T-E, that supports a broken system that is perpetuating a dying church? Beloved, how is the church today declaring and demonstrating that this is indeed the year of the Lord's favor when we subdivide ourselves into opposing camps of us versus them? How do we proclaim the year of the Lord's favor when we spend more on restaurant meals and entertainment than we do in dropping anything in the offering plate expressing our gratitude to God for what God has done for us? Beloved, there are people in this church, in First Baptist, in Rio Vista, name any church. There are people in our churches who will load more onto their Starbucks app a week or a month or a year than they will ever give back to God out of gratitude in the offering plate. We are more grateful for Starbucks than we are for kingdom ministry. You know, I was at Starbucks this week, and I download, you know, I had to. <laughs> you know, but the deal is, I know what I pledge. <laughs> and I feel the commitment, an estimate, a giving card. Not all of you have. But as I was standing in Starbucks, trying to reload my card, <clears throat> I was having difficulty. And I, when it finally broke through, when I finally got on, yes, I, I agreed to Starbucks' term with Google and all this thing, boom. It finally signed on. I was able to download 25 bucks. And I thought to myself, that's when the, the reality hit me. We have no problem hitting our Starbucks app for 25 bucks every time we go in. We need a pound of coffee or something like that. But are we proclaiming the year of the Lord's favor? In the way we give to God? It was, it was humbling. You, especially when the church has an app. Did you know that? This church has an app. That's how I give. I don't, I don't use the Starbucks app to give to the church. I use our First Prez app to give to the church. We got that. Brothers and sisters, these, lo- these words today of Jesus in Luke are prophetic. As he quotes from Isaiah 58 and 61, they are words from the prophet Isaiah that were spoken to the people who have just come back from exile and wandering in the wilderness. 
Their words were not, his, the words of the prophet were not meant to evoke guilt or shame. On the contrary, Jesus says, starting today, starting today, God is doing a new thing that's going to frustrate the status quo as you and I know it. Jesus is declaring that today God is doing a new thing and that he, Jesus, is the match who is going to start this fire going. Today, Jesus tells us the good news is that we may disagree politically, but we can agree ethically and morally about the well-being of our neighbor. You don't have to be a Republican, a Democrat, Libertarian, or whatever to realize that human trafficking is wrong. What are we doing about it? Today, Jesus is, is telling us that this Jesus type of love is beyond politics. The bad news is the church in America, we aren't living like it. Today, Jesus tells us the good news is that you and I, the church, First Presbyterian Church, Fort Lauderdale, is called to share the good news to our world right here. Las Olas, north and south, the metro area, The bad news is we are still trapped in a nostalgic past and are too fearful to utter, much less declare, the new flash of grace, the news flash of grace from God. Today, Jesus, my beloved, tells us the good news of the church that we are to quit being so focused about your size. It's also Freudian. Jesus says, quit worrying about how big you are, how successful you appear, how prestigious you are. I don't care. But are you living and loving others like I am? That's what I care about. How are are we willing to be unpopular in the eyes of our culture and neighborhood because we are doing God's will and not our own? like Jesus did. How are you and I sacrificially, inconveniently, intentionally serving others as the hands and feet of Christ in this broken, weary world as Jesus did? Friends, the good news of the gospel is that for First Presbyterian Church, that today... Jesus is giving you and me, is giving this church a brand new, fresh, blank canvas upon which we can paint a beautiful vision for ministry. Jesus doesn't say paint over the old canvas and do a new painting. Jesus says, no, the picture of the church at First Pres is a beautiful picture. It stands on its own. We're not going to cover over the past. We're going to let it stand for what it is, but let's paint a new one. We've got a brand new canvas. Go to town. That's the good news today. The good news is we're not shackled to yesterday as a a church, but today we are the living embodiment of the invisible God in Fort Lauderdale and Broward County and beyond. Amen? Friends, we are listening to Jesus' mission statement in Luke today. We haven't figured that out. 
And as a church, we are being called to live into his mission statement, his purpose statement. And we are to determine success differently than the world or the church even determines success. Years ago, I worked as an associate pastor at a church who on one day, a colleague and I, we welcomed as ministers of evangelism 140 members into the church one morning. Just one morning. And we were told by the senior pastor that day, you failed. Never mind that the average Protestant church in the United States is between 100, 110 members on the rolls at best. But being told that our 140 members, which is almost the size of this room, those in this room, was a failure, taught me a huge lesson as a young minister. Being told it was a failure was a gift because I learned that as a young pastor, a church isn't driven by its size, isn't driven by its prestige or its numbers. The church is driven by the Spirit. I learned that the church's ability to be the church is to proclaim the winsome news of Jesus to a world that is spiritually blind, culturally bound, and grossly self-absorbed. I learned that a spirit-driven, quote-unquote, successful church is one where people are worshiping in community consistently and worshiping at home as well. I learned that a spirit-driven church is one whose members are developing their faith through intentional spiritual formation, that they're not only learning about their faith, but they're practicing what they learn in service to others in the world. I learned that day that a spiritually driven church is one whose members care for the least of these in our own midst. We care for each other. We show mercy to each other. We love on each other, but also to those outside our door. I learned that day that a spiritual, spirit-driven church is one whose members display gratitude to God by giving their best not their leftovers. Beloved, this is the type of church Jesus is wanting to plant in his mission statement from Luke chapter 4. It's a church, my beloved, that I want to be a part of. Do you? What? You know by now I'm not asking a rhetorical question. Sisters and brothers, do you want to be a church that is worshiping, that is winsomely sharing the news, that is caring for each other, that is growing her faith, our faith together in spiritual formation, and then with transforming acts of grace, taking what we know to impact those around us? Do you want to be a part of a church that is giving itself away? Do you? Then let's get on it. Let's pray. Oh, Lord. What a great day. We give you thanks for this time together. We thank you for the challenge of Jesus. 
Lord, we admit the church in this country has not fallen through. We've been more about Christotainment than we have being the mission of God in the world. Oh, Lord, enable us as your church, as we begin painting new colors on fresh canvases, ministry that you would have us do here in Broward County and beyond. For all of us pray this in Jesus' name, saying, Amen. Amen. Amen.